Princess Claudia Mantelow. A blind queen who reigns in a carpeted penthouse on Fifth Avenue. An imperious predatory dowager will soon find a darkness blacker than blindness. This is her story. Chris Brown and welcome to episode two of the Night Gallery podcast. It's a series of weekly shows going through each individual story from Rod Serling's series from the 1970s. Uh, we're in, still in the pilot, obviously. Uh, the second story is called Eyes. It's quite an interesting story. Um, it's unusual because it actually divides opinion. Normally with um, Night Gallery, it's you've either got a good show or you've got a bad one. Uh, this one um, has some great actors in it. It has Joan Crawford, it has Tom Bosley, Barry Sullivan is in it as well. Uh, it's directed by Steven Spielberg in his first ever Hollywood directorial uh, gig, I suppose. And also it is a Rod Serling written uh, story. It's, it's his script based on one of his short stories. So it has all the elements of being a bit of a class act. However, and a lot of people love it, but unfortunately, uh, well, the reasons we'll get into, it, some people really don't like this episode. Um, we'll discuss that in a bit. First off, though, I suppose the best thing to do would be to give a bit of a rundown of what happens. The plot to Eyes is very simple. It features um, Joan Crawford, who is a very rich, very horrible, quite bitter, blind woman who lives in a penthouse apartment, a massive apartment block that's alone, effectively, surrounded by great art that she can't see, beautiful chandeliers that she's never looked on, been blind since birth. And she comes up with the idea that, well, she discovers the idea that there's an experimental process by a doctor, played by Barry Sullivan, who's called Dr. Heverton, who can give her sight for only 12 hours. It's been tried out on animals before, but never, never on humans. And she blackmails, he doesn't want to do it, but she blackmails him into providing that service. But of course you need to find somebody who would be willing to give up their eyesight for a sum of cash. Includes Tom Bosley, who people might remember for as Mr. Cunningham from Happy Days. Uh, he plays a character called Sydney, and Sydney's a loser. He has massive a gambling problem, and he needs he needs t- nine grand to pay off his debts. Otherwise, well, uh, the, the loan sharks or the, the, guy, the illegal. It's not made clear exactly who he owes the money to, but you assume it's the bookmakers will kill him. Um, so he agrees, completely blindly, really <laughs> blindly, um, completely without understanding what he's really getting into until the last moments and then kind of shrugs and says yeah fair enough i need the money there's nothing else i can do uh, there's a great line in it where, where he says out in here you'll take my eyes but out there they'll take my body and then he lo- and that's it really <laughs> effectively up to that point it's uh, the first couple of acts covered and then the third act after the operation it gets quite tasty quite amusing initially um it's kind of a sod's law kind of aspect that when uh, Crawford is playing a character is called uh, Claudia Menlo as she removes the bandages to see for the first time New York where it's based has a massive power cut and she can't see 
everywhere's pitch black and she's confused and upset and almost the majority of her time in those 12 hours that she has are spent in darkness. And then finally, the, 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 the twist, the classic twist that you'd always see, it's a, it's a Rod Serling script, so it has to come in there from somewhere, a sort of retribution almost, is that as the sun comes up and she finally manages to marvel over the park and she, she sees the fact that her eyesight is slowly, slowly going, she puts her hand up against the glass of her apartment, it's very high up, and the glass breaks, she falls out the window to her death. And that's really the entire story. Um, the reason why I would say it's controversial, or not, yeah, controversial almost, is simply because there's two things at work here. There's a group of people, and I am on this side of the fence to be fair, who like it, who really like this episode. Um, Spielberg manages to create an episode with great qualities to it. The, the camera moves around a lot, it has, a, has movements and urgency. Um, there's, a, there's a great moment as, as Joan Crawford lists through the things that she wants to be able to see. The camera judders and jerks towards her, making her more and more maniacal. And also uh, desperate, desperate to be able to see and just willing to just destroy another man's life for only half a day's sight. And would do anything for that, really. I mean, she blackmails the uh, the Barry Sullivan character, Dr. Heberton, in the blink of an eye. Doesn't even flinch, really, to be fair. Um, she, Joan Crawford herself, is, is very well played. She plays the piece extremely well, surprisingly so, really, because effectively, what what has come from this, and the reason why it, it, it gets some kinds of uh, negativity, is because although it's a Rod Serling script, it is a classic example of when Serling's written a story before, and it's written for the page, and he wants the dialogue to be the same. When Spielberg signs up to it, he was told he couldn't change a word of the script. And both him and Crawford struggled with that dialogue a lot of the time. Uh, Claudia, as a character, speaks the most beautiful flowery language. Incredible uh, sentence structures. Wonderful alliterative uh, words. And it detailed sentence, but the... The entire sentences are long and chunky and, and, and unwieldy and in truth characters will stand there and talk and talk and talk and not pause, there's no interaction really, everyone says their own little bits and written down on the page it would look great but you could see Crawford does a sterling job of what she's got but you can tell and you can see that she is at times struggling with that dialogue. And Serling would not move. I mean, he's extreme. I mean, what, one of the things with Night Gallery is he didn't have as much creative control as the episodes went on. At this stage here in the pilot, though, he did. And he wanted it in a very specific way. And you had to work around that. Um, effectively, though, it creates overkill. Absolute overkill in the language. And it's a sh it, it works and it doesn't. I mean, personally, I like the fact that Claudia is the type of person who would speak all these wonderful wonderful sentences but be, still be a complete monster she has got a wonderful tone to her fantastic voice and yet at the same time she absolutely will do whatever it takes to reach this stage where she can say even if it's only for 12 hours and she has it all set up it's a great little scene after well she's still got the bandages on and she's standing there in the apartment and she's looking around and there's, there's all these great beautiful artworks and she just you can imagine her just desperate to take rip the bandages off and stare at all these fantastic pieces and just soak them in she basically says that the 12 hours will be spent trying to just memorize and soak in as much items of beauty as she can in that time and then obviously the lights go out um also 
I think Spielberg does very well. He has some very, very beautiful and impressive directorial flourishes. Um, and that's great. I mean, it's really good to see. I mean, you've got to be around this a TV movie. And with that script, you could literally have loads, you could have had loads and loads of just static headshots and people talking to camera, talking slightly off camera, talk, you know, you know, it just not having any real ebb and flow. But the movements, a lot of the movements, and he does dance around Crawford, who at this stage is not a young woman. She's in the late 60s, 68. I think it's like one of the last, it's certainly like it's the last proper TV movie performance or second to last TV movie performance she didn't do much after this and the camera kind of dances around her and allows her to just say the lines and do the work and get and declare what she wants to say while also allowing the story to unfold see another problem with this is that it's a very very ambitious script for a TV movie it involves New York going black it involves somebody falling out of a window to their death and it and it's an although it it has some elements outside. There is a, there is a very nice scene outside in the pitch black with a policeman on a horse and various cars traveling through in the pitch dark. A lot of it's studio based, again, much like the episode, the story that we spoke about in uh, episode one. Um, but also it has a certain, uh, but he, he manages to make that work. He, what he does is he makes, Spielberg makes the, the, the interactions between uh, Joan Crawford in the darkness and pretty much on it, you feel that she's on her own, effectively. There's a blackness around her. She, she's obviously, she's effectively, probably not too far away from Rod Salen standing doing the night gallery stuff in pitch black. And that's and that works, but it's also quite jarring. Um, a lot of that episode is based on realism and and making the horror come from that, from that realism, and this doesn't do that. I'd also add that Eyes is a far more... Far more realistic, despite that the horror from it is from realism rather than from, for example, ghostly goings on in paintings that we were discussing yesterday, last week in the cemetery. This story has a well, the horror comes from the fact that somebody, uh, the Tom Bosley's character Sydney, would lose his eyesight, and a woman would be so desperate for just the briefest moment to have something she could, she's always coveted, that should allow that to happen. So it works. I mean, Spielberg does a good job. I mean, personally, I like the script. I know, I realise that it's heavy-handed in places. Um, I mean, effectively, Serling sets up the uh, Menlo character as being a monster in his introduction and says she's going to get a comeuppance. And then it's reiterated again with uh, the, the painting. The, the artist who takes a paint, draws the painting of her is reiterated again and says he hopes she gets a comeuppance. And then the Doctor very much again says... I hope you get your comeuppance from this. And then fi- finally, she gets it. So it's a little bit heavy-handed, but it does work. I mean, what you've got to bear in mind is this was actually quite a troubled uh, production. Spielberg was new. He'd only just come into the come into the uh, the business as a director in Hollywood. And you can tell there's a little element of nerves there. Um, he tries all elaborate shots, but the, sh- the shoot was only meant to be a seven-day shoot. It overran by two days. Um, Joan Crawford... Apparently, really stressed out about the final reveal, like the, the fall from the window. Um, there was a story that Spielberg went to see her after saying that he would see her and didn't because he was desperate to try and get certain shots finished. And when he went to see her, she was in hysterics for believing that it would all go wrong. Um, she, Crawford, struggled with the script, didn't like how how some of the censorship was, struggled with her breathing, with her pacing, with the tone. 
but had to basically do what she had to do. Um, and that that was a problem. that was a real problem. It's a real it's a real problem. I mean, Spielberg could have ruined his career on his first first show simply from not being able to provide what he needed to. He needed to have the, the story finished by six apparently on that day, and another group another production was starting, and he needed to get all the shots done, and he did. But if he hadn't have done, his reputation would have been ruined, and he wouldn't have been then wouldn't have led to being able to do Columbo, then that episode of Columbo, then episode of that the TV movie Jewel, which obviously led on to far far greater things although he it's obvious that he has great skill within his his work even i mean there's a great crane shot well not crane shot but the camera goes through a chandelier and then into the action and it looks very very showy i mean it, it's you know it looks like some the director going look at me this is my first time aren't i great like a calling card but it works it really works with this story um another interesting little trivia tidbit I would say is uh, Betty Davis turned down the role and she turned it down because Spielberg was directing um, she obviously had thought that it might there might be problems because he was a, na- a young director a bit naive perhaps and she she turned it down to her chance to work, work with her what became one of the uh, greatest Hollywood directors we have it's a funny one this I mean from my own point of view I love Eyes I think it's a really really good episode I always find it quite um, it's that classic kind of thing of a really horrible character getting the comeuppance and it's quite traditional in its story structure it's probably it's quite Twilight Zone in a sense though it's not it's not supernatural and it's not and the twist as such isn't that much of a twist although there's kind of a cruelness to taking to having the lights go on have all the lights on she takes the bandages off and then the blackout so there's an element of cruelty to it but that cruelty is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek possibly than people give the uh, the episode credit for. However, I am very aware that in terms of writing and in terms of script structure and narrative structure, it's a bit all over the place. I mean, Broadsail and sometimes he didn't do it right, and I think in this case it could have done with a bit of a rewrite. So that's understandable that people kind of get a bit funny about it. I mean, for example, I mean the thing that annoys me the most about this episode, and I'm saying I do like it, is the fact that Sydney signs off, disappears from after basically half, well, near the end of Act Two, just signs off and says, "Well, I'll probably end up killing myself," and then walks out the room, ready, for, ready to be prepped for the the operation, and that's the end of his story. It just seems a ridiculous way. I mean, I know he's a loser, but. That was the point that really, really jarred with me. However, Joan Crawford is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And she makes a very dislikable person, very, very likable as an anti-hero. Anyway, next week, we're actually finishing the pilots, which will be quite exciting after three weeks of it. It's called The Escape Route, and it features Nazis, South America, and vengeance. And it's a really, really good way to bring bring the stories to a close and before we move on to series one properly um i'd just like to say before i sign off big thanks to tom for all his help in getting me set up for the night gallery uh, podcast and also for hosting it um if you want to leave any feedback you should you can contact me at feedback at the twilight zone podcast.com and also if you check out the twilight zone podcast.com you'll be able to get a few more notes and details about this episode thanks again And we'll see you next week for the escape route.